Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. And Lord, we just take a moment too, putting in your hands this next five weeks of Sundays, as we look at the Beatitude, as we get inspired by the Sermon on the Mount, as we look to hear the voice of Jesus through the ages in a way that would be life-giving for us today, we make ourselves available to you in that way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so, thank you so much for that. So the Sermon on the Mount... Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you could flick open your Bibles or have a look. We're, we're, going, to be, um, we're going to be mainly in the first 12 verses over the next um, five weeks. But the Sermon on the Mount is 5, 6, and 7, and it contains some of Jesus' most simple and yet most challenging teaching. And I think we're going to find that out over the next little while. And so for the next five weeks at both our morning 10 o'clock and 5 o'clock Shaw Vineyard services, we're going to be grappling with some of these teaching in our series called Blessed, Living the Beatitudes. And what I'm going to do today is introduce the series, same message in both services. And then from next Sunday, we're going to be looking at two Beatitudes because there are eight that we're looking at. Two Beatitudes a Sunday, one in the morning, one in the evening. And, I, I, and trying to figure out what it might mean for our lives 2,000 years later. And what I want to really encourage you to do is sort of, it's probably unlikely that most people will be sitting here um, eight times over the next four weeks, just this Labor Weekend, next weekend. You know, there's all sorts of things that happen in our lives. But we do have the ability to actually walk together as a complete church um, through this whole series by um, Facebook Live, which we're, which we're at, for, we'll be at for both um, morning and evening services, by our podcast, or of course, you know, preferably to be here and to go through it together, to grow together, to, to, to slowly sort of um, take on what Jesus is saying. And I really want to invite you towards that. And so it's very simple teachings, but very challenging if you were to read those chapters, and maybe you'd like to over this time, um, out of um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is the main aspect of the Sermon on the Mount. If you read through it, you're going to come across things like this. You know, anger and murder are somehow linked. You know, probably there's nobody who's murdered, but we've probably all been angry. And so that's going to challenge us at some point as we delve into the Sermon on the Mount. Or, you know, lust and adultery, you know, kind of we may not have, you know, committed adultery or we may have in this forgiveness and that. But there is a sense of, you know, kind of lust is something that Jesus equates with some of those um, sort of aspects. And it's like we will be wrestling with those sorts of things. Well, what about, you know, Jesus is, you know, kind of it's so simple, isn't it? Oh, just love your enemies. We could, we could roll that off. Jesus said that, didn't he, somewhere? You know, it was a great thing to do. But how hard is it to love your enemies? I don't want to love my enemies. I want, I want retribution, to be perfectly honest. Or, or just to throw in one really good one at the end, or at the end of chapter 5, Jesus says, oh, here's a really good idea. Be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect, you know, kind of, let's, and let's move on to the next point, you know, kind of no problem at all. Let's, let's just be perfect this week. Why wouldn't we do that? That would be a fantastic thing. So it's going to be 
a challenging five weeks if we embrace it. And I want to encourage us to embrace it. So I want to talk just a, a very briefly about a little few background points of the Sermon on the Mount. And it has sort of a twin, which is sometimes ironically called the Sermon on the Plain. So in Luke chapter 6, Jesus, some of Jesus' same teachings are recorded, and it talks about him coming down from the mountain onto a level place. And it's, like the, it's called sometimes the Sermon on the Plain, the Sermon on the Mount, to give us a little bit of, um, I don't know, context for where we're going in terms of the whole Beatitude series. So it seems like this 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, where we will be, is almost certainly a summary of a lot of Jesus' teachings. Jesus seems like he would have been teaching these things over the course of time in his various ministries. It's almost like the best of Jesus' teaching, which is coming in there. And, and, so, and so it's something that the disciples would have heard over and over again, and it would have become something important in their, in their whole fabric and their, in, in their sort of being. Um, uh, Jesus addresses the Sermon on the Mount to his 12 disciples. And this is an important thing in the context because if you may know that in the Old Testament you had 12 tribes of Israel. And the 12 tribes of Israel received from Moses the first covenant coming down off Mount Sinai and were given um, it through that. And, and, and there's more to it. And, and it's significant that Jesus too is on the mountain and is giving um, a, a, a new set of, a new covenant, if you like. Jesus, as the new Moses, is proclaiming a new covenant of the kingdom. And so we've had whispers through the Old Testament, Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, of a new law that was coming, a new thing that would be written not on, not on tablets of stone, um, but on, on, the, on, the, on their hearts. You know, kind of a, it says in, in um, Ezekiel that God will take our hearts of stone and make them hearts of flesh. And we're beginning to see this both pronounced and enacted by Jesus. And we'll see this week by week as we go through this um, series. And then the message extends beyond the 12, because although it's given to the disciples, it goes out beyond that. And, and, and the Sermon on the Mount ends with the words, when Jesus had finished these saying, the crowds were amazed at their teaching. So some of you who are a little bit older, and it's, um, you know, it's, it's, it's slightly dodgy to say this perhaps, but some of you who are a little bit older will remember sort of the Monty Python skit of um, the Sermon on the Mount. And, it, and it's actually, it's, it's probably, it's, 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 it's not that great, to be honest. But, but, it, it, um, but it has this sort of this rolling, 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 and the guys in the skit are on a far mountain. They're trying to listen to the Sermon on the Mount. And kind of famously, they kind of, you know, kind of shut up. I'm trying to hear him. I'm trying to say, and, and blessed are the peacemakers rolls out over the hills and gets translated into blessed are the cheesemakers. And so, on, you know, kind of goes on from that. And so there's this sort of extension of this whole thing to the 12 and beyond. And sometimes it can get blinded and clouded, can't it, by, by history and things and sort of whispers and all of those sorts of things. And we get the chance, don't we, to come back into it and have a look at it from here. So we arrive in Matthew 5, start of the Sermon on the Mount, after a wild Matthew 4. You know, if you've got any spare time in reading that, it's only 25 verses long. So here's what happens in chapter 4. Jesus goes into the desert 40 days um, after his baptism, and his time of testing comes. And he comes out of the desert, and he, he announces in 4 verse 17, he says, he, he says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He announces his kingdom purpose. And then in 18 to 22, he calls his first disciples, follow me, comes into our vocabulary as a church. 
And then in uh, 22, 23 to 25 to the end, he goes on this ministry trip around Galilee and healing breaks out and demons get cast out and the kingdom of God is seen in tangible form and crowds begin to follow him. And when we, if we get through chapter 4, we get into the beginning of chapter 5, and this is what happens from here. So if you've got uh, uh, your, your Bibles, just have a look at it through from here, although most of it will be on the screen. So from verse 1, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, and he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And so next Sunday, October the 27th, uh, in the morning we'll be looking, Calvin's looking at blessed are the poor in spirit, and at night I'm looking at blessed are those who mourn. And we'll see that, um, sort of the, the, the coupling of those two through the next time. And then he goes on, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And that'll be on November the 3rd, Sunday, November the 3rd. Blessed are the merciful, he says, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. November the 12th and uh, 10th, we'll be looking at that. And then finally, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That takes us up to verse 10. And then it just finishes that section, if I can read it, from verse 11. Blessed are you, Jesus says, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And we'll tease all of those things out and try and figure out what it all means for us today through to November the 17th. And then it'll be crikey, Christmas, won't it? And we just, it's like... Oh, where's that year gone by? You know, it's just an amazing thing. So the Beatitudes, Beatitudes sort of roughly means a supreme blessing. And the kind of, you know, dreadful play on words. I was thinking, you know, these are Beatitudes, they're not platitudes. You know, platitudes kind of, it's like I can just, you know, blessed are the pure in heart, brother. You know, blessed are, blessed are the meek. We should just be meek people. Oh, it's so much more than that. It's so incredibly more than that. The word blessed, Greek makarios. Um, often translated not too badly, actually, as, as happy, although I'm, I'm not happy with that as a translation because I think our, our happy is probably a weaker version of what it would no normally be. But even at happy, we're confronted immediately with the fact that the way we pursue happiness is nothing like the Beatitudes. You know, we probably pursue happiness if only I could have or if only I could achieve or if only I could go there. And Jesus says, even if it's just we're translating it as happy, Happy are the ones who are persecutors. That's not the route that I would normally want to go to towards happiness. And so we've got something we've got to wrestle with here. We've got to work through here. But I think it's a, it is a bigger word than that. It's not sort of just like, um, you know, our own sense of feeling good about our life. So it can also be translated as fortunate or, or, or divinely favoured might be more helpful. Favoured, favoured, some, something God is doing. There's something about being poor in spirit. There's something about being meek or merciful or even persecuted that attracts the presence of God. That people in those situations, Jesus says, among other things, will gain the kingdom, will, will be comforted, will inherit the earth, will be filled, will obtain mercy, will see God, will be children of God, which is incredible. It's tantalizing, if you like. 
you know, what more in a sense is there to desire than to be those people or to, to, to attain to those things or to, or to have that sense of blessing? Pope Francis regularly talks about the Beatitudes. It's like uh, almost a, a model for his ministry and his teaching. He says the only way to, to true happiness and the only way to build a society is via the Beatitudes. And he says, I read the Beatitudes and I think about how my life as a Christian should be. I hope, I hope over the next five weeks as we read the Beatitude, it will deeply make us decide and wonder how our life as a Christian should be. Philippe Jacques, who, who um, set up the community of the Beatitudes, wrote a book called The Eight Doors of the Kingdom. He said, The happiness promised by the Beatitudes is not simply a human happiness or satisfaction, but a visitation of the Holy Spirit, a divine consolation. He says, The Holy Spirit is drawn to the situations and attitudes described by the Beatitudes. The Holy Spirit somehow is drawn towards those things. The Holy Spirit, he says, comes to rest in a special way on one who is poor in spirit, meek, humble, suffering, merciful, and persecuted. There is something about being in there that we can expect for God to be present in that place, despite the, I don't know, the uncomfortable nature of that news along the way. So a deep reading of the Beatitudes is going to take us on a journey towards things that we love. You know, who doesn't want to love inheriting the kingdom? but through very difficult terrain, very difficult personal terrain for us to go there. And if that's not challenging enough, the Beatitudes have this whole extra layer or a couple of extra layers, which we'll explore a bit as well. The Beatitudes will take us into a deeper understanding of Jesus. They will let us know what Jesus is like, who gives this teaching at the beginning of his ministry and then goes on and embodies it. And there is nowhere in human history or in biblical history where the Beatitudes are better walked out or worked out or exhibited than at the cross, that Jesus at the cross. There is nowhere that we see poverty, mercy, purity, meekness, hunger for righteousness in the midst of persecution than Jesus at the cross on our behalf. And if we go at least to the next level, we are going to discover Jesus in a whole new way. We will worship in a whole new way when we recognize Jesus, who is the Beatitudes, if you like, who, who, who um, represents all of those things. The French Dominican Jean-Claude Sagne said, and I think this is the best quote of the morning, well, uh, for me, sums up so much of what I trust that God will do, that the Beatitudes are not only a map for the Christian life, which is, which is maybe like we would think when we read it, but but uh, are the secret to Jesus' heart itself. And so as we uh, embrace the Beatitudes, we will see something of the heart of Jesus over these four or five weeks. Put it another way, Jesus in Matthew 5, which we haven't read, but Jesus in Matthew 5, he says this, um, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And when he's doing that, he's announcing himself as the embodiment of the law. Jesus, if you like, is the living law. And then he teaches us how to live the law ourselves, how to live it out ourselves. And so the Jesus, who is poor in spirit, teaches us to be poor in spirit. Of course we can't be perfect. Of course we can't, 
you know, not be angry. Because we do get angry sometimes, but Jesus will teach us and walk us through those things and invite us towards living a life and being in a, in a, in a life that is able to, to negotiate those things. And so on through the Beatitudes until Jesus the persecuted teaches us to endure persecution. And as we read on through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, if that's not enough, Jesus who turns the other cheek will tell us to turn the other cheek and show us how to turn the other cheek. And Jesus who does not God's will, but uh, not his own will, but God's will, will teach us to do not our own will, but God's will. And Jesus who calls us to lay down our lives will lay down his life as an example to us, embodying, living the beatitude. He goes before us. We need someone to go before us. We need someone to inspire us and take us there. You might have seen this week um, an amazing event happened in athletics. This guy, um, Iliud Kipkoji, um, was the first man, first person ever to break the two-hour mark for the marathon. Um, never been done before. Always been a that is, that's the barrier you'll never break. People have been trying to do it for ages, and the, the official world record's about two, two hours and, and one minute and so, so seconds. So it was a specially staged race. It's not an official record, but, but he's broken through something. And I don't know, you know, kind of in 50 years, the two-hour marathon will be, you know, kind of not for any of us, <laughs> not for anyone who did the Auckland Marathon today. I reckon in 50, 50 years, I might be able to do a two-hour marathon, but, but I don't know about you. But we're not going to be doing it, but athletes will be doing it all the time. So in 1954, a guy called Roger Bannister, he broke the four-minute mile. It was said that you could never run a mile in four minutes. But it was like once the barrier is broken, all of a sudden you see what's possible, what is out there, what is, what is the opportunity to do. So that smashed something so much that our own Sir John Walker broke the four-minute mile in the 1970s and 80s over 100 times. In 1954, first time, 20 years later, one athlete's breaking it over 100 times. There is something about someone who goes before. There is something about someone who we can follow. There is something about, you know, I'm, I was angry yesterday and I, and I failed, but I can be inspired. I'm angry again today and I failed, but I can be inspired because Jesus, the embodiment of this whole thing, is going to lead me through. That's who we're going to meet in the Beatitudes. That's where we're going to be led towards. You know, it's not like when we're going to pray the Beatitudes over us and you're never going to be angry again. It's like we're invited to a journey and a life with these things that we might be able to discover Him in a whole new way. So Jesus doesn't pronounce the Beatitudes from on high. As in a sense, I guess, God did with Moses. Here are the law and, and keep them, 613 items. He models them. He invites us. He inspires us towards them. He lives them. He is them. And He is who we follow, who we worship, and who is inspired. And so this blessed series, Living the Beatitudes, Living the Beatitudes, not intellectually knowing the Beatitudes. Let's go back to Makarios and, 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 and tease out blessed and, you know, kind of what is it this? No, no, living the Beatitudes, being in there you know, really examining next week, what, what does poor in spirit mean? And how does it affect my life? And, and how would I live differently if indeed I was poor in spirit? Whatever it means to go there, 
it's going to be a challenge. It's a challenge for our behavior. It is actually a challenge for our behavior. So when he says, you know, don't be angry, you know, we actually have to acknowledge that being angry is not what he's wanting us to do. It's not like, oh, well, Jesus did it, took it to the cross. We don't even have to worry about it. We can do whatever the heck we like. It's like, oh, no, we've got to talk about anger. We've got to talk about lust. We've got to talk about, you know, kind of failings. You know, all of those things are part and parcel of what it is to be in the Beatitudes. So it is a challenge of our behavior, but not only a challenge of our behavior. It is a challenge, too, of meeting Jesus in a deeper way. And I want to call you to it. You know, kind of, I want to meet Jesus in a new way this month through the Beatitudes. That's what I want to do. I want to know what Jesus did, you know, so much more than he died for my sins so I can go to heaven. But he lived out this life so that I could experience something of what and who he is. And so it's a challenge to go deeper with Jesus, the embodiment, the inspiration, the one who shows us what's possible. And finally, I think it's a challenge for us to our call of not only being blessed or blessed, but being blessing to others. That's going to be a deep challenge for us because we were just in our selfishness. I don't mean meanly, but... But, you know, kind of naturally we'll say, okay, I need to be a bit more poor in spirit so I might see God or something like that. But it's a challenge for us to be a blessing as much as it is to be blessed. We become, if you like, the delivery uh, mechanism for the divine favor of God. Every time we behave like Jesus, every time we are led towards what Jesus wants to do. And so N.T. Wright says that the Beatitudes are the agenda for kingdom people. They're not simply about how to behave so that God will do something nice to you. You know, if we do that, we're very just Sunday school at that point. You know, we can, we can chant them, um, but we haven't embraced them at all. Not that it's wrong in doing them at that level, but we're adult, most of us are adults now, you know, so we're able to go deeper. They're about the way in which Jesus wants to rule the world. He wants to do it through this sort of people. People actually just like himself. And I think he could have added people actually just like you just like me, just like us. And I love it, Wright goes through the Beatitudes and, he, and he, as, as is his wont, he, he does some fantastic things with it, what it might look like. And there's a, another quote that I like. He says, when God wants to sort out the world to put it to rights once and for all, he doesn't send in the tanks as people often think he should. He sends in the meek, you know, to go to that Beatitude. And by the time the high and mighty realize what's happening, the meek because they're thinking about people other than themselves have built hospitals, founded leper colonies, and looked after the orphans and the widows. The meek are changing the world while the high and mighty are meeting at the UN or something like that. And so we are the meek. We're probably not very high and mighty, to be honest. We're just ordinary, aren't we? But we are the meek, and we will see the world changed. And so buckle up for a challenge. I want to I call you to a challenge, a challenge to live differently personally, a challenge to discover Jesus who has lived what he said in a whole new way, a challenge to be inspired to be a blessing to others and not just ourselves, and a challenge to enter into the kingdom story of God. I trust you'll join me. I want to close with a really challenging passage out of the Sermon on the Mount. It comes at the end of uh, Matthew chapter 7. And I'm going to read it from the message because it's a little bit different. We're probably reasonably familiar with it, maybe if we've been in church much in our lives. And it's the story of the wise and foolish builders. And I want, to, I want you to read it with fresh eyes 
And I want you to say, well, I want you to say yes, but you're free to say no. I want you to say yes to be a wise builder over the next four weeks. And so it goes like this. These words, Jesus, I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life, homeowner improvements to your standard of living. They're foundational words, words to build a life on. You know, I guess he's talking about the whole of the Sermon on the Mount. If you work these words into your life, you are like a smart carpenter who built his house on solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you're like a stupid carpenter who built his house on the sandy beach. I love it when the Bible says that, or Eugene Peterson or somebody like that, because then I don't. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. And this is what the people did. When Jesus concluded his address, the crowd burst into applause. They had never heard anything like this. It was apparent that he was living everything he was saying, quite a contrast to their religion teachers. This was the best teaching they had ever heard. And I don't know how clever we're going to be from the front, to be honest. I don't know if it's going to be the best teaching you've ever heard in terms of the series. But what we're talking about is going to be the best teaching you have ever heard. The best um, opportunity to grow and develop and, and have your life flourish under the, under the watchful eye of Jesus. What a magnificent opportunity it is. So I want to call you to that. So let's stand. And you know, I just wonder, you know, whether this morning there are some people here for whom today is an important day. You know, you just came, came along because you had time or something like that. And you thought you'd just be in church today or you're attracted to the series a little bit um, or you woke up early or whatever, but you find yourself here today or maybe you're here every week. And, and, and yet, you feel today as you're, as you're in this place that, that, man, actually I might be more of a foolish builder than a wise builder, to be perfectly honest. Or you feel a prompt and a nudge and you sort of say, you know, Jesus, this seems like an invitation to me and I want to be involved in that. And kind of as we sing, if that's you, I would love you. I'd love you just to come forward. We won't do anything to you. We won't sort of, um, you know, abuse that privilege to have you at the front. But it's just, a, it's just a little sign. It's just a little response, you know, in a series that we're asking you in your heart to respond rather than, you know, kind of just to sit back, you know, to be passive and just, and just hear, but to respond. So, you know, if in some way that is you, I want to encourage you to come. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.